0: What's up, Llama listeners, Joe here, and I'm excited to announce our partnership with Blazing Star Barbecue. Blazing Star Barbecue is a veteran-owned business owned and operated by Mike Starr, a veteran of over 20 years of military service and a fantastic member of the Llama family. Through his amazing rubs and sauces, Mike is devoted to bringing unique flavors from his world travels to your backyard. And I got to tell you, I love me some Blazing Star Barbecue, especially the Reaper and brand new Scorpion rubs. I absolutely put them on everything, and they pretty much have rendered the rest of my spice cabinet obsolete. Check them out at blazingstarbarbecue.com and Blazing Barbecue on all social media platforms and get your sauces and rubs today. We promise you won't
1: be disappointed.
2: You know, most people go through life aiming at nothing and hit it with amazing accuracy. And they find themselves just feeling stuck in a rut, wondering if this is all there is. And I'm here to tell you, no, it is not. And life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. So check out beyondtherut.com and listen to episodes of other people who are also feeling stuck in a rut, asking themselves the same questions you are around their faith, their family, their fitness, their finances, and just their outlook on future possibility. And there, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired to make your own path and live life beyond the rut so again go the check rut. out beyondtherut.com, beyond where you can find blog posts and podcast beyond episodes as well as some tools to help you design the targets you wish to hit in life in those beyond five f's faith family fitness finances and future possibility because again beyond life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut now go check it out beyond the rut
0: it's
3: yours
1: Life. Learning. Leadership. Leadership. The Lama Lounge. Hello, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. I am Nina Choi Romiller, and with me today, I've also got my fellow Llama, Jose Ramon. Hello, hello, how are you doing? Great, great. I know you just went through kind of an interesting weekend, so.
0: Yeah, I am definitely ready for the Neosporin and Motrin because my body is sore. (laughs) We basically moved our four bedroom house and basement in about two and a half to three days. So it's been fun.
1: That is amazing. And actually, you're taking it a lot better than I would because I don't know if I would call it fun.
0: <laughs> well, I told my wife today, we managed to stay together learning how to snowboard together. And we went through PCSs that are this short and we still love each other. So I think we're
1: good. <laughs> That's winning if there ever was one, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today we have with us Scott Novis. Scott is the founder for Bravus, a company that's helping businesses increase retention by facilitating highly dynamic live and virtual video game events for their employees. His focus is on helping break down the barriers of isolation of using video games as a tool for connection. Technology does not have to be isolating and when it's managed effectively, it can be a transformative platform for change and even friendship welcome scott
3: hey welcome. thanks for having me
1: how are you doing
3: you know i'm doing great um i feel very blessed hey, thank you for having me on the show because you know what i did not have to move my house anywhere so um, <laughs> jose thank you for helping me appreciate my life and my blessings i
0: cannot imagine moving <laughs> what two days that's insane yeah. wow yeah.
1: Did you Uh, have people
0: come help you, Jose? Yeah, we had a couple people come help us out. And then uh, one of my neighbors let me borrow his trailer, too. But um, other than that, I looked at this as a resilience training for my young son. So (laughs) he definitely got stronger this weekend.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. How old's your son? He is 12. Oh, perfect age. Yep. Yes.
1: Yes. A lot of learning. Yeah, I want to be treated like a man.
3: Perfect. Carry this.
0: What? Yeah,
3: get <laughs> <Yeah>. to work.
0: <laughs> I always tell him, I say, son, you're either going to use your mind or use your muscles. So you better make a choice. I'm trying to lean in one way or the other.
3: <laughs> awesome stuff.
1: Well, you know, we were just talking about your son, Jose. And so that kind of segues into a little bit of what we're talking about today with, with Scott and, and video games. Because when I think of video games, I always think of like, our kids and and how how glued they are to to video games but before we get into that maybe scott you can tell us a little bit maybe give us a little bit of background of of who you are who is scott novis
3: oh well yeah thank you Yeah, my one-minute resume, and you touched on some of it, a couple engineering degrees. I was a VP for the Walt Disney Company, and I jumped into a company called Game Truck. So we're most famous for video game birthday parties. And we have entertained like 10 million kids over the years. Uh, We do something like 30,000 birthdays a year. And where all that came from was the loss of the arcade, you know, we lost our venue for, like, movies have theaters and, you know, con- you know music has concert halls. Where was the where was the social space to enjoy video games with your friends? And to me, it had become the living room when consoles took over from the arcades. I'm like, well, then I want a living room on wheels. I want the perfect living room to enjoy games with all my friends. And that became Game Truck. And about four years ago, we started looking at the, the crazy impact. Adults gaming, because all of our, the, the whole business is run by adults, right? No kids run game truck. Mm-hmm. And when you had an adult go into an environment and play video games with kids, uh, it, w- it was transformative for them. Like they never forgot it. And so we started a business that didn't involve the truck and trailer and created more opportunity for the adults to work with kids playing video games, and that was our original vision. And the kids loved it, but the adults weren't ready for that. The adults weren't ready for esports, mm-hmm. competitive video gaming as a league. They're just like, "No, I want to still play baseball." We're like, "Okay," um, mm-hmm. but the kids wanted it. So what happened is we got pulled into colleges and because now the parents are gone and now the kids get to choose and we end up doing a lot of production work um for colleges and universities for esports and when covid hit uh, as you might imagine that totally radically changed our business and we became a virtual production company so we host online events and uh, we bring professional commentary and tournament organizers but we only do it for private groups so it's not some big mass thing, it's more like at your school, the people you want to hang out with that you can't, you know. Here's a great way to do it is through video games. And our, uh, I I like to joke, we we make it fun to watch bad video gaming. Um, But it's really (laughs) about creating this interactive show around people playing games. And it's not uncommon for us to draw nine times as many viewers as participants when we do a tournament. And we're very good at driving engagement and getting people to interact because we want to create more human connection every time we play. Uh, Play is a magic uh, secret sauce for helping people bond and connect because play inherently carries vulnerability with it. Um, That, as they say, one thing led to another, um, caused us to think more and more about adults gaming because college kids are adults, young adults, but still adult. And as we just started seeing this explosion in remote work, and, and honestly, we experienced it at my company, and probably the reason I'm on your show today is we did the whole thing. We went completely remote. We got rid of our office. We're like, we got this. We're, we're nailing this. This is great. Um, and I thought we were doing a great job until one of my top employees resigned. Uh, it just blindsided me. And in his exit interview, he said, none of this has anything to do with me. I was just so taken aback. And I realized that what was happening was that we were only doing task work together online. Mm. All the social structure uh being in an office together, like mm-hmm. think about the break room. Like, where are we gonna go eat lunch? Right. I
1: mean, yeah. Gilbert
3: right. cartons about not being able to pick lunch, but that's still time that we're socially interacting. And there's a, mm-hmm. a special phrase, it's called unplanned, unstructured conversations. That's the social glue that binds people together. And what I realized is we were only doing task work online together, which turned all of our relationships transactional. I was turning my entire company into a bunch of Fiverr and Upwork employees. And I was like, must fix So if you've got um, listeners right now that are entrepreneurs, bosses, managers, whatever, and you're staring at retention as like, and you're dealing with a lot of remote work or hybrid work situations, my number one, if you take nothing else away from this talk, please form a fund committee. Um, It was one of the first moves we made and you'll get two benefits out of it, um, possibly more, but two concrete ones. Number one. The most at-risk people in your organization from social isolation are going to jump on that committee because they're craving non-dopamine-driven interaction. They want to connect with other people, more Mm -hmm. oxytocin and serotonin-type interaction. And so those are going to be your volunteers, and they're going to drive this, and they're going to have a good sense of what's needed. And then secondly, they're going to care about creating – Uh, opportunities and events for everybody else to benefit from the same things they need. And this doesn't put any work on your plate. It's like, yeah, approved, right? Um, The spend for me is nominal. It's like uh, once a month, we do a fun Friday that they host and set up and you get everybody like a DoorDash coupon and go, we're buying everybody lunch, show up at lunch and we're going to play games together. And Mm -hmm. As we started doing that, we thought, I bet we're not alone. And as I talked to other business owners and other people I met, they're like, yeah, I have no idea how I could possibly do team building, excuse me, with my team being remote. And so we're like, okay, we can help because we've got all the technology. We understand all the games. We know how to do all the production work. um, And we also know the stress it is to host events that other people participate in. And that's what picked us into gear of having a remote team building uh, focus on our business. And that's what leads me to be here today is to talk to you about the things you can do to help create more connection where right now everybody is feeling the most disconnected they probably have ever felt like we're surrounded by technology and we're drowning in isolation. You know, we're connected in a dozen directions, but we don't feel like anybody sees us, hears us, knows us, or cares about us. And and that is, an unforced error that is unnecessary. It does not have to be that way. Um, but it, we have to think about it differently if we want to fix that problem.
1: It's interesting yeah. that you talk about thinking about things differently and the interactivity and the connectivity that games can have, because I know that as a parent, you know, when my, when my boys were younger, I had such a different idea of video games to me, mm-hmm. that was very, an, a solitary activity. And so I, I think there's probably a lot of folks out there that either their parents told them this or they have, as parents said, why don't you go out and play with your friends? And so I think that can you speak a little bit to <laughs> oh, the mindset oh, yeah. change that?
3: Yes. Um, yeah, 100 uh, percent. I do some public speaking and one of the talks that I give to parent groups is around healthy video gaming at home. It's one of the biggest stressors for parents is they just feel like they're in a no-win situation, right? What you just said is a classic, it's an isolating individual activity, go play with your friends, but they're like, if I let my kids play as much as I want, I'm a bad parent. If I stop them from playing, I'm a bad parent. You can't win. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. What's happening for your kids, the huge change, and this happened fast, was – a couple of macro trends are squeezing your family. So one, a giant one, is, and it started in the late 80s, and it picked up steam in the 90s, and now it's just de facto. We no longer see our neighborhoods as safe places to raise our children unsupervised. Hmm. Uh, you, I was in a generation, I was kicked out of the house, told not to come back till dinner time or the streetlights came on. I remember one time coming in. Grabbing a flashlight. My dad goes, Are you in for the night? I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'm good. And I went back That's out good. in the dark. I cannot That's imagine awful. doing that with my kids today. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, statistically speaking, we're just as safe as we ever were. But nobody can do that anymore. And consequently, what happened is teen sports became the de facto way to exercise and socialize our children in this country. That's to go out and play with your friends. That'd be great, except there's one other problem with that, and it has to do with universities. They're like, universities, what do they have to do with it? When have we built a university in this country, a new one? Like, when was the last time? Does anybody know? I don't. (laughs) In the last 50 years, we have doubled our population and tripled the number of kids gone to school without increasing NCAA sports participation hardly at all. Hmm. And so, what's happened is kids' access to sports in this country has collapsed. My alma mater in the 1980s was the largest in person campus in the country with 19,000 students. That's a small D3 or junior college today. They have over 105,000 students in one baseball team, one basketball team, one football team. Same thing they had 60, 70 years ago. So, by 11 years old, If if you're listening and you're embarrassed or ashamed or worried because you think your kid's losing interest in sports, you're not alone. 70% of 11-year-olds fall out of team sports. Uh, It's too competitive. I mean, you got the big colleges recruiting kids out of middle school now. One year out of elementary school. That's how competitive it is. So where did the kids go? You know what I know. They fell into video games. That's where they ended up. And Mm -hmm. what changed in the video game industry is they used to have what are called servers. So somebody would set up a personal computer and run a copy of the game. And then a bunch of people would join that server and they'd make friends that way. Well, the publishers took over the servers in the early aughts in the early two thousands. And when everything went to the cloud to keep people safe, they will never intentionally introduce you to somebody you don't know who could walk over to your house and meet you. It's too dangerous. So that means they systematically isolate people so imagine whatever you're into, let's say you're, you like to ski, you like to mountain bike, you like to hike. What if your world looked like the only people that like what you like live four states away? That's the reality yeah. for a lot of kids when they jump into gaming is that they're getting connected with people all ages, all over the place. There's like no sorting. They're trying to hide everything. So it's all confused and muddled. But what happens is that I don't know a single parent, they would walk out in the middle of a baseball game or a football game and you know, grab their kid off the mound in the middle of a baseball game and go, we're done. Let's go. Like, that'd be humiliating. Nobody would do that. The problem parents turn into with video games is that they're missing all of the social cues that now exist online. Nope. Right? Nope. Kids are wearing headsets and microphones. Parents, they can't see who the kids are playing against. They mm-hmm. don't even know who they're playing with most of the time. And they can't see the audience. And there's an increasing number of audiences watching games played online. Like I told you, in our events, it's nine-to-one spectators, and we do small private events, and we'll draw a crowd like wow. that. I mean, we'll have 400 people watch a tournament with 50 or 60 people in it, which is a big for, like, Little League-type game. You mm-hmm. would never walk mm-hmm. out. But in a video game, parents are like, they, can't, they don't have any of those cues. So this is one of the reasons parents have, like, so much stress around shutting down video games. So here's my second tip. Number one, if you're going to work with kids in games, negotiate the end before you let them start playing and get your kids to teach you how their games end. Mm. How does a video game Mm. end, Jose? (laughs) Who knows? It depends on the game. just depends on the game. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Most parents, especially if they're non-gamers, have absolutely no idea how to end a video game. They don't even know how they normally end. They don't even know that some of them can't save, can't be paused, Mm -hmm. especially if you're playing online with friends. Like, you know, it's like, look, NFL only gets three timeouts, right? You can't, there's limits, right? Um, Video Mm -hmm. games often are not very different. Well, you can't just stop because you want to. So one of the biggest things parents can do is, um, you know, negotiate the end before you begin get your kids to teach you like, is this a game that can be paused? Is this the game you can save? Are you playing with other people? Like what are the criteria? Cause what I've learned is that gamers game. um, So if you're like, we're leaving at five sharp, like period, there's no opportunity to connect. Are you sure you want to jump in that game of Fortnite with all your buddies? You have no control over, or would you rather play Pokemon on your DS? And my kids always were like, mm, I'll play the game. I can either take with me or pause or take the, the Nintendo Switch. I mean, it's yeah. there's options. There's always options. But if you cut that off at the head, um, you'll save a lot of heartburn. And I hope what mm-hmm. I've done is convinced uh, your listeners there's a rich social world out there. This generation mm-hmm. coming up, Gen Z, they don't differentiate between – real life and online to them. It's all real life.
1: Mm-hmm. I know and that's I know.
3: probably what's driving a lot of the metaverse. And I don't want to get distracted with that, but they literally have their online and personal reputation are strongly intermingled.
1: Now, and I'm mm-hmm. going to turn this over to Jose, cause I know he had brought something up before earlier and I know Jose in the military, you deal with uh, a younger demographic as well, right? Mm-hmm.
0: We do. And unfortunately, you know, for us, I mean, you talked about retention, and it's an issue for us. We have a high high retention deficit, I guess I can say. And so it's a constantly bringing in the younger generation who, as you so adequately described, right, we see things differently, and we have to maybe not convince them that it's the way we see it. We've got to meet them where they are and and get them, you know, where we need to go. Um, but one of the things that, that you were talking about, Um, that that really struck a chord. Well, two things. I I got other questions, too. But um, one thing that I was thinking about was, you know, for a lot of us, um, going remote or teleworking um, has been the norm. And so it becomes difficult. Um, What a lot of people don't realize, though, is we have young service members whose first assignment can be overseas, and it's their first time they left the country, first time they left the state. They're their, their, their social structure is no longer there. And so while they're around a lot of people, they may not have the same, same mindset. And so they can feel very isolated and we're all feeling what they, they have been feeling for a long time. I remember being in the dorms myself and, and feeling like that, you know, I was a kid from oh, yeah. California station in Arkansas and uh, my friends were from Oregon and Chicago. And like, it was just, it was just different. Um, but my question, I guess is, a lot of folks will view people that play video games and will let's say isolate themselves to play video games in a kind of negative light, right? Like they don't want to do these things. So we got to get them out of their world kind of thing. Um, what, What would you say to that kind of mentality? Well, you know, it's, it's,
3: there's so many things that you touched on. I think the first one is, That break that you see is actually really, really similar to a lot of college freshmen today, how big schools are, right? Because when you're in high school, uh, your support network is all your friends are location-based, right? Everybody goes to their local school and your family where you live. And all of a sudden, we're going to rip away your friend group Mm -hmm. because you're going to leave and go somewhere else um which you chose to do right it's a volunteer military so you like you picked this like you would pick a college but you also just moved away from your family and that's a big like bump and i think what's happened is that because of the changes that i've been pointing out um the the social group that goes with you anywhere is your game group your online group and so that's just as much a part of their natural support network as anyone else and so you know that's one of the things again the normal visual cues are absent and so non-gamers very often don't understand the experience the players are having and the number one thing i could tell them is like uh play in fact one of the number one mm-hmm. piece of advice i give for parents is you really want to learn how games end play with your kids like build a bridge into their world and in fact one of the biggest opportunities and that's the real thing is all of these gamers are looking for leadership they're all looking for mentorship Mm -hmm. but if you want to really mentor somebody you know one of my favorite models is right climb and lift is you gotta meet them where they are and lift them up to the next level they talk about this in physical therapy right you're trying to move somebody to change and they have this model it's a ring that talks about somebody's preparation to heal it might sound crazy but it's deeply human nature you can't shift somebody more than one notch at a time. You might like them to jump from mentally resistant all the way to I'm fully on board. I'm going to go get them. But one of the things they're teaching more and more professionals to do that help people is recognizing where somebody is mentally and emotionally, because that's the biggest barrier. And so if you're running into kids that have this behavior, just shutting them down You're just taking another tool, a coping tool, away from them. What are you replacing it with? Mm -hmm. Now, the alternative is jump in. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not hard, right, to start setting up events. And I can give recommendations on games. In fact, we do a thing. We do work with the Air National Guard right now. Um, And what's another misnomer people have around video gaming is they tend to think it's only competitive. And in our cultural society, this is a big deal where men's – The full breadth of men's relationships have been crushed to only competitive. In the 1800s, it was not uncommon for men to walk down the street and hold hands. In fact, in 2005, it set off a national furor when the Prince of Saudi Arabia was walking in the Rose Garden with George Bush, holding his hand. People are like, oh, they're holding hands. Yeah, men can have more than competitive relationships with each other. Big shock. And we've lost that somewhere along the way. There's a rising generation of games that are cooperative, collaborative games. You don't compete with each other. You actually work together to achieve common goals. How cool is that? In our session, we get people together because it's not just the young kids. My generation, if you could see me on video, I got gray hair. We're not leaving the workforce either. There's four generations of people in the workforce right now. And the beauty of some of these pieces of technology is it doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter what your age is. If you can use a mouse, a computer, you can push a space bar and an arrow key. You can play a video game. The challenge isn't the game. The challenge becomes how you work together. Like one of my favorite games is a, a cooking simulation. You play a chef. Any chef can do any task. And no chef can do every task. You're Mm going to have to work together. And Mm -hmm. so whether it's that game or anything else, once you recognize what somebody's coping mechanism or how they're connecting, that's an opportunity to meet them and mentor them. That's what we saw in the game trucks with the coaches. When the adults walked in and said, yeah, I'm a gamer too, just like you. How do you think that made the kids feel? Like they belonged. That's right. They found their tribe. So human beings, uh, an amazing book is Sapiens by Yuval Harari, and it has a, a profound idea in it. And it is human beings are awesome because we evolution burped out this animal that can change its behaviors in its own lifetimes. Like you think of my dog, I have a big yellow lab. Cookie the dog never wonders who Cookie the dog is. She has no identity crisis ever. Right. Human beings, however, we're always trying to figure out who we are. And one of the ways we do that is we observe ourselves and we watch our behavior. You know, Ben Horowitz called his book, what you do is who you are, like watching who we are shapes our sense of identity. And a lot of, I'm sure what you do in basic training, what James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits is we form practices and habits because that shapes our identity. Well, we don't only form an individual identity. We form group identities. So we want to see that the people around us share our values by doing similar things. So when somebody's coming in, especially if they're bringing gaming with them as a strong part of their identity, what's the harm in incorporating that going? Yeah, we game too. Because there's a lot to be gained from play. Play is the Mm -hmm. safe space where, like, here's one of the magic things about play. If I'm teaching you a lesson, let's say I was going to teach you how to swing a golf club, whatever. All the science says you're going to adapt your behavior to meet my expectations. We all learned how to do it in school. We all do it. Mm -hmm. But if we play a game, you don't have enough mental bandwidth to be somebody else and play, play forces you into authenticity and vulnerability. And as Bernie Brown said, vulnerability is where human connection flows. So if we can get people playing and a guy named Yak Panskett is the rat tickler actually discovered there's neurocircuitry in our heads for play. Because when we play, that's where we go to the edge of our ability, that's where it's safe to fail. That's yep. where we explore. Play activates our inner explorer. And it's it's got so many healthy things for it. It's like anxiety, like, oh, there's all this anxiety in the world. Well, why not fear? We don't say fear in the world, we say anxiety. Anxiety is an adaptive emotion. It's the explorer's hmm. emotion because anxiety means there's promise and threat. Not only threat, there's opportunity there. And that's what play does for us. It unlocks the what's good about this, what's bad about it. Okay, we can experiment, we can learn. And then we can begin to categorize and sift, maximizing the good, minimizing the bad, making it safe, and moving on. That's what mature leadership actually does is create and activate that explorer so that we can create an environment that's safe for people to flourish.
1: What really struck me was when you were talking about how play inherently carries vulnerability and promotes that that authenticity and that vulnerability, which to me Mm -hmm. equals trust, right? And Jose would agree with me that any manager Mm -hmm. and leader, one of the foundations for an effective, high-performing team is establishing and making sure that we all have trust.
3: And here's the barrier that what what we're seeing from the psychology, from Amy Emerson's work, as human beings, we're this identity thing. We all want to believe as professionals. So this is why it's hard for adults to play. We want to know what to do and we want to know we can do it, right? Who doesn't want to be mm. smart and competent? That is a mm-hmm. really good goal. However, uncertainty and pressure stress that if we're not sure what to do and we're not sure we can do it, we fall into a state called impression management and under impression management, we don't want to look ignorant. So don't ask questions. You don't want to look stupid. Do not get caught making a mistake. You don't want to be Hmm. intrusive. Don't offer ideas. And you don't want to be negative. Don't critique the status quo. And those strategies work. The problem is they cut you off from learning. They cut you off from developing. And the way to unravel that and walk it back is you got to create psychological safety. And that means you got to know and care about the person independent of their professional suit. People have to feel like they're heard, seen, recognized, and cared about. And that's what friendships do. And where those often come from in adults, why kids get why them so naturally in school is in school, we're all lined up in all these weird synchronization events with a lot of dead time. So we talk to each other, we hang out, we discover what we like about each other. And those unplanned, unstructured conversations lead to the formation of friendships. When you're only doing task work together, there's no room for those things. And all of a sudden you got a bunch of people that you've reduced it to transactions. And what, I was just say, like, think about your banker. When's the last time you talked to a banker? All transactional relationships are being reduced to apps today. So if all we're gonna do is transact with each other, we're, we're accelerating towards only dealing with software. And I don't see that as a winning strategy for having creative, high-performing, resilient teams. We got to intentionally make space for people to connect and care about each other and show that they do, because that's the foundation of creating psychological safety and trust. The best definition of trust I ever heard came from Neil, Di- Neil Stuart Diamond. Sorry, not, not the singer. And I do like Neil. I'm an old guy. I still like Neil Diamond. Stuart Neil Diamond's Diamond. amazing. His book was uh, Getting More, and it was Trust is when you look out for someone's interest, even ahead of your own. You know, am, am I looking out for you? And I think, you know, the military has some just awesome metrics on that. Some of them are, uh, what was the one from the Marines is I'll trust him with my, uh, I'll trust him with my life, but would I trust him with my wallet or my wife? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's that wholesome, uh, yeah, I'm looking out for you. I'm looking out for you, the human, not just the objective, not just the mission, not just as far as you're useful to me. I'm looking out for you, the fellow human, and I'm, expecting you to reciprocate. And that's the risky part because I'm counting, if I make it safe for you, you'll make it safe for me. And I'm a big fan of play because the thing that people look at, the number one thing, like, why are you playing video games? That's frivolous. Exactly. That's the safe place to practice. You could screw it up there and it won't hurt anything. It's exact power is you want to do these things in small, simple ways where you can play with them, with, where the consequences are so low that by the time you try to pull them up where it really matters and serious things are mm-hmm. on the line, you've had yeah. a few reps. Like how much yeah. time do you want to spend in a batting cage or working on a tee before you face a pitcher with two outs in the bottom of the ninth? Probably a bunch, right? You Like mm-hmm. you practice, all, like how much time do you spend training? A ton, right? right? It's all about preparation. Absolutely. Where do we prepare to connect? Where do we prepare – to support each other and bond with each other. We just sort of assume we're getting it for free from somewhere. And that's, that's the new burden on the employer. That's the new burden on the leader. People aren't getting it anymore. They're not getting it at home. They're not getting it from sports. Like that's probably the single biggest thing that uh, you can do as military leaders in the, in the active military. And as you get out is Mm -hmm. there's, 80% 80% of people have never been on a team. They have no idea what it's like to be on a team. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about teams and, you know, group projects in school. Everybody knows that's right. a joke. I'm mm-hmm. talking about, I can't, I'm going to bring my part. You bring your part. I'm talking about not accountability, the higher one, dependability. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can depend on me because I'm not going to let you down. That's why we say thank you for your service. Because you that serve, when you serve, you're dependable and we're counting on you. How can we not appreciate that? But it's, you got to train humans to do that. We don't get it for free.
0: Right. You said so many things. I see Nina writing stuff down too. And I know my, I need a bigger steno pad because this thing's getting full. <laughs> um, you've dropped, I, <laughs> you've dropped a lot of nuggets that I plan on repeating to my formations and, you know, crediting you. And, and definitely there are some books that you mentioned that I've read and there's other ones that I haven't. So I have more to add to the list. You know, something i i thought about is you know you play the game and you know it could be a stressful thing depending on what it is right and mm-hmm. you learn to communicate right it could be it could yep. be a silliest game right yep and my uh in my, my opinion the I, sillier the better i yes yes and it's funny because i remember wanting to get you know the next best xbox the next best playstation right it just got too realistic for me. And I was like, it, it's not fun anymore. You know, it's <laughs> it, like I'm managing somebody's career from the time they leave high school to trying to get them into an all-star game. Like, I just I just want to play something silly. And so, um, <laughs> you know, we got my son a Nintendo Switch. And this past uh, Thanksgiving, we drove down to Virginia to go see uh, some of our good friends. And him and his children were playing Pokemon Go. And I, I played Pokemon Go a little bit when it first came out. And they, uh, they inundated us, right? And so we started playing Pokemon Go. And I was like, I wonder if I can get my wife to do this. And I, I, I did not expect that I would get her into it. But now, and it's so funny, we'll be driving someone, babe, there's a pokey stop. I'm going to go get this shiny. And I'm like, that's awesome. You know? And it's, it's, it's just because yeah. of this thing with our family, right? And so right. me and my son will just drive around and we're doing stuff. And, and what I didn't realize was as we're going there to go on this adventure together, we're talking about other stuff. And we just started having, you know, a better, better relationship. And it was funny too, yes. because the other day we were doing something and he said, dad, I need you to think strategically about what we're going to do. And I was like, <laughs> I, need, I, I need to sit here and take this learning lesson from my son. Right. Because that as a parent, that's what I want him to be able to do. And it was the game that brought it out in him. And so I was so appreciative of that because I, the, the game was free 99. <laughs> I, didn't have the I just
3: love, I just love the language you use. We went on this adventure together, and when you went on the adventure together, what did you have? Unplanned, unstructured conversations. What did you say? You knew each other better, and now it started coming back to your son having the confidence and the trust in you to say, hey, like, your partner's in this. We got to think strategically Like that level of trust and closeness, like that's the planning. That's the communication. That's the, we have aligned interests and we're, we have the same goals and we're trying to get there at the same way. And you got that from your son from play.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. It was Um, was really good. And my wife is into it too now, right. With my daughter. And so listening to you speak about this, just gives me even more passion on how we can get our young service members to do this. Right. Because if I can get them to trust me in the virtual world, then when something does happen for real, they, they know they can hit me up, right? And, or, or whoever it is that they're playing with because they've been there with them in the trenches figuratively, right, in the game or whatever. Yes. So so many good nuggets, brother. It's this not is awesome.
3: figurative to them, mm-hmm. right? It's a real lived mm-hmm. experience for them. And I have good news for you about your daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. Science says or the latest studies indicate that girls that game are three times more likely to pursue STEM degrees in college It turns out people that like to play with technology often want to learn how to make it.
1: I'm all for more women in STEM, but I'm biased there. (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, it's a part of the
3: revolutionary challenge. We need it. Like when my mom had breast cancer, she ended up going to a breast cancer clinic that was headed up by a female MD. It was like a spa because she went in, instead of it being this you know, whole uh classic you know white and i can't i'm I'm, I'm blanking on the word she recognized she goes look the stress is only going to make the cancer worse so we've got to relax people and so they focused on zeroing in on every pain point even at the point as soon as you had your checkup they're like you wait in the lounge we'll get you a nice water you relax and we'll get you your reading immediately no waiting Like she re-architected the entire process and it's one of the most breakthrough things ever. And I'm sure that it contributed to my mom's rapid recovery. And it's like that kind of fresh perspective is why we need not just more women in STEM, but more diversity in general. More of the same is not more, 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 just isn't better. Like there's huge opportunities around for people to step up and walk in and go, oh, I have a fresh perspective on how to make this better for all people. And, you know, that's, I'm a big fan of that. diversity is a fact and it's a strength. And one of the things I do, uh, so I'm a big fan about, you know, we're trying to get more girls in gaming, more people in gaming in general. Um, and that's why I like what I do with the teams. Cause we play, play with a lot of non-gamers, like a lot of our team games for companies. I, I joke with my team, like your mom has to get in this video game and be able to play it. And they're all like, Okay. Cause we'll do the league of legends and we'll do Fortnite, and we'll do all the other stuff at the college levels, but we go into businesses. It's like, you gotta be able to pick this up. Nobody from the IT department can be calling any and yelling at anybody. It's gotta just be super simple because we want to focus on play and, you know, like letting people like enjoy each other's time together.
1: So it's interesting because, you know, Jose was talking about, you know, how to bring, you know, younger airmen, And younger service members into the, into the fold. And I have a similar, but difference. It's flip flopped. Mm-hmm. You know, so so sometimes in the private sector a lot of your management and leadership structure they're a demographic that has never played video games before ever <laughs> right i'm one of the where i am i might be one of the younger um managers and my experience is pong i think we had an atari growing up so
3: <laughs> right
1: so you know you you talked about how you've dealt with different organizations and brought play in there. So how have you seen bringing in and maybe convincing some of these non, maybe, maybe older generations that may not initially see the value of gaming?
3: It, you know, it's not for everybody, right? There's a certain people that is like, yeah, they're not going to do this. Um, there's no doubt about it, but often what, what we're focused on is if your business has a core of uh, you know, creativity is critical, like cognitive, that's the big one, right, is if you need people to think. So the irony is when you work in an environment that is either saturated with fear, it's just not in your brain, right? All the resources get reallocated. Like, it's like you literally get robbed of your brain when you need it most. That's the irony of it. So if you're going to reopen people to creative thinking under pressure, how do you practice that? And what we do for our uh, people, my generation and older that are like, oh, you know, gray hairs that don't want a game. um, We run a session with them personally. And so we onboard them. We give them hand training. You can get comfortable with this. And when we get them in the social environment, what my experience has been is they're, usually they're saturated with competitiveness, like just totally competitive. Like, it's crazy. And a couple of the behaviors that I've observed are, uh, they don't talk to each other. (laughs) It's just like, you need to start (laughs) listening to each other. And when they become aware of the dysfunction they bring to a new situation, we spend a lot of time talking about now, when has that happened in your business? You brought in a new software platform. There was a fundamental technology change, a regulation change, and you have to rethink what you're doing. A disruptive competitor showed up in the market, and now your product lineup has changed completely from what you thought it was. When did you experience this effect? And almost always somebody starts going, oh, yeah, we got so busy, everybody scrambled, and nobody talked to each other. And we ended up in silos and lost time and productivity and heartburn. Mm-hmm. And so the whole goal of this actually is because of the vulnerability of play. Here's the word. I, I run these workshops to help people experience emotions in the context of working together. And I want to give them tools to deal with those emotions productively. So whether or not you like games or not is largely irrelevant. The question is, are you a human being? Yes. Do you have emotions?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yes. You know, don't want to admit it, but yeah. <laughs> right? And so it's like, well, where do you get practice? Because I can't stand in a room and lecture how you're going to feel in a given situation. Only you know how you're going to feel. But I can put you in that situation. And once you feel it and you're primed to look for it, we'll go through it three or four times because the, the reps in the game are short. Now you're going to be able to go, oh, got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you do about it? And, you know, that's really where I've seen the leadership teams come together and help each other out. And that's right there. Once people start helping each other, I feel like my job's done. I'm good here, right? Because you weren't even aware you needed to do this for each other. And the Mm -hmm. tools are simple, but they're invisible. When people do them for you, hopefully not to you, when they're doing them for you on your behalf and well-being, then it creates that more open space for you to then unpack and grow and learn the way I tried to explain it is, you know, if you got to go retool, the worst place to do that is behind enemy lines. You want to go back to base Mm -hmm. and at your base, that's where you want to do your retooling. And very often the place that leaders have to start retooling is their attitudes and their approaches and how they think about things. So they need a safe space to be able to do that. And we can do that for each other in a team environment.
0: Wow. Wow. As I listen to that, right? You know, my experience within the Air Force is, you know, I've been very fortunate, very blessed. Uh, typically, I'm I'm the younger side, but as you mentioned, um, that that vulnerability is is key for both to come together. And not only that, but also being able to learn from um, some folks that may be a couple generations behind you, because oftentimes. You know, people think that, well, since I'm the oldest or I've been doing this the longest, I know how to do this better than you. And you stifle innovation. You don't you don't allow for things to change and to evolve. Um, but when you come together in this environment where you're learning those skills, you you find other ways of applying that exact same thing, but maybe to attack a different problem set. And I know one of the things that I was watching prior to this is how some of the technology that was developed for gaming is now being used to help geriatrics because they are so isolated and some of them are not able to move. And so now what they're doing is these VR sessions where instead of, you know, being stuck in this building, they can experience the Grand Canyon and they have something to look forward to and they're just, they're developing different ways. And so- um, even, even if it isn't the gaming, the technology of it itself is pushing us forward. You know, we're progressing because of it. And it's, it's just amazing to see that. Cause I never would have thought of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the air force is going towards that as well with our training, because like I mentioned, you know, our turnover rates so high and how do we get people the reps so that they don't get nervous when they're actually fixed in an airplane. Well, we make a video game out of it now it's virtual reality. So go right. fix this fake airplane and you can't really break it and if you do it's okay we reset it and you'll learn it for the next time so when you actually have to do it you're good to go so it's the applications are endless
3: yeah it's brilliant i'm just an advocate for using that for better human interaction um and better human communication because we can put you in a situation in a game authentically that would be hard to create any other way and then give you the opportunity to work through the emotions and feelings and communications together as groups and you know it's a is it the only way? Heck no. But it's a way right now, given remote teams, given what we've seen with COVID, and especially with this next generation, you're going to need a strategy to address this This generation. that comes up that this is how they see the world. This is how they make their friends. This is how they're used to interacting. They're not just going to cut off a social channel because somebody older than them doesn't like it. It's not just games. It's much more than that to them. It's a big part of their own identity.
1: I've seen with a lot of our newer employees too, that they're a lot more collaborative in nature. You know, Mm. even in the last 10 to 15 years, I've seen a move away from a very hierarchical silo type of structure where it's us versus them, contractors versus owners, that type of thing to really more of a, we're all in this together type of mentality. And I think a lot of our younger employees really bring that with them. And I can't help but think that maybe that comes from their background in technology and interacting virtually. Well,
3: they have, it's an interesting thing. I have this this slide that I compare like esports to traditional sports. And I do believe that's part of it because when you go down the list, there's a couple of things. Like number one, there's no gender divisions in esports competitive video gaming. Clearly, gender divisions in professional sports—that's illegal everywhere else in our economy, right? Like my company, men and women work together. I'm sure they do at your company. Esports has that aspect of it. Now we can use a lot more women in it, but there's no baked-in gender disparity. Then you start moving your way down the list, and you get into the fluidity. One of the elements is of teams is. I could be competing with you today and on your team tomorrow. And what I've seen in some of the healthiest gaming communities, not all of them, but like the ones we really advocate, like Smash Brothers in person, is one of the best gaming communities out there, is we've seen people just absolutely celebrate a great match. Like, look what we did together. Yeah, somebody won, and everybody would rather win. But there's almost this recognition that we can only have this amazing experience if we're both excellent together. And I always think of competition the way that, wouldn't put it, is it's the best tool we have to train someone to perform under pressure. How do you be your best when your best is most needed? We need other people to do that. And in balanced competition, we can help each other do that. But winning isn't the only thing, right? It's about is everybody contributing? Is everybody included? And we're, we're starting to see that, like you said, show up in the workforce. And I think it's a real positive. And it's definitely the kind of thing where, like, we haven't mentioned it, right? Minecraft. There's a game that had, in its original rendition, had no competitive mode at all. Mm-hmm. Greatest selling video game of all time. It's a collaborative manifestation engine. It raised a generation of kids how to jump in and dream together, and build together, and play together. It's the ultimate sandbox game. Like, aren't those the kind of skills we want to have at work? Right. Right. Why wouldn't you train people to do that? Why wouldn't you use that for training? Uh, You absolutely could. There's a total, you know, there's amazing interactive technology that has been built in the gaming space that helps people play together in ways that aren't competitive, and they have some real positives benefits to them. So I'm not surprised at all to see what what you're observing. That's great. That's the hope. The other thing that surprised me about this generation is when we told them, don't be consumers, I thought that meant stuff, right? Like straws and, you know, disposable diapers or whatever. To them, it's also content. They don't want to just watch your broadcast show. That's why Twitch is so big. They want to participate. They want to comment. They want to jump in. Um, they want to feel like they're co-creating things with other people. So they have a real mindset around how do I get to participate? And that's just awesome raw material to help shape even stronger team members. And, to, you know, to me, that's the risk of like, stop playing your games. It's like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. You know, and this is another thing parents run into about gaming. And it's really similar to a lot of people that don't game. If you play games and you're playing, let's say Candy Crush or whatever, you could be forgiven for thinking that video games are a waste of time because literally you're a casual gamer and that's what your games are engineered to do. They are engineered to waste your time. But if you're a core gamer, you're having a radically different experience. And that experience is you face hard problems, you develop mm-hmm. skill and you persist until you overcome. And so, for the parents out there, one of the worst things you can ever tell your child that's a core gamer is games are a waste of time because they don't hear video hmm. games are a waste of time. They hear facing hard problems, developing skills, and persisting is a waste of time because that's hmm. what a game is to them. That's what it means. And a way more effective way of having a conversation is to talk to them like they're a project manager. Just like your son was like, We got to be strategic. Doesn't that sound like something you'd hear at work? Doesn't that sound like something Mm -hmm. you'd hear from a project manager, someone else going, hey, we got a serious problem here. We need to think through our approach before we commit to our tactics. Mm -hmm. And that's how they're approaching their games. And a way more interesting way to have a much better conversation with a gamer is to go, what's hard about that for you? What are you struggling with? What did you invest to be able to get that outcome? And when you start having those conversations, it shifts. It's radically different. And the value of the leadership is if you can make that leap, you can build a bridge from the game behaviors into the real world behaviors you want. That's what the kids are missing. That's what our whole goal was, is Mm -hmm. to have mentors that go, ah, I got you. I can bridge into your world, be where you are, and then I can build a bridge Mm -hmm. for you into the future you want to have because I know what you don't know. I know how what you're doing now will apply to the things you're going to need to do to go where you want to go. And I can help you with that. And so that's why I'm a huge fan of gaming being just an awesome middle ground because truth is, you know, Jose, I I see your picture. uh, I know your camera's not on, but I'll bet if we were going to try to meet up on, let's say basketball or something like that, like I got no chance, Mm -hmm. like no chance. Even if I kicked you in the shins and ran around you, not going to happen. But we jump (laughs) in a video game we've got a chance and there's tools we could use to balance it out and we could have a great time together and walk away mm-hmm. respecting what each of us is capable of contributing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things I like about gaming is it can be, if used correctly, very inclusive.
0: Well, something that you talked about too, right, is is the idea of being able to contribute to that team. Sometimes in sports you, you want to be on the team, but you just don't have the hand-eye coordination or, or maybe you, as you mentioned, right, the, the numbers you mentioned about sports, you say 70% of
3: kids at a 70% 70% of kids. It's we got a high school here that has 4,500 kids, 4,500 kids. Mm -hmm. There's 20 kids on the baseball team. How many really get to play baseball? There's what 15, 20 on the basketball team. How many really get to play basketball?
0: Right. It's
3: insanely competitive today.
0: Well, and that competitiveness, right? Like I, I am a competitive person by nature, and it has its dark side. You know, you you can you can ruin relationships, or at least uh, some of the activities you do if you're too competitive. If somebody's just trying to have a good time, and everybody contributes, so how do you get the best in them and allow them to contribute what they can is, is the key. And you know, we were talking earlier. I think it was before we hit the record button about the the culture kitchen, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Would you be willing to share share some more about that? Just, just yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, Culture Kitchen is a workshop that we've done uh, for companies, and like I said, we're doing um, one a, a big one in Oregon for the Air National Guard up there, and it's a video game workshop. So everybody comes in and play games, and they play a video game where everyone plays a chef. Um, And anyone can do any task, but nobody could do every single task. And we go through Mm -hmm. five-minute rounds of running a kitchen. It's very simple. It's like move a stick, push a button. (laughs) This is not what is hard about this game. Talking to each other in the midst of (laughs) pandemonium and being organized (laughs) and thinking it through. And um, it's very specifically structured To help you experience in a safe environment some of the emotions that people feel in the real job. Um, I joke when I run it, like, you're going to get more before the job training than any employee at Game Truck ever got for, like, the first five years I was in business. And you're still going to be overwhelmed. And that's what we want you to feel. And for a lot of senior leaders, like, when's the last time they actually felt overwhelmed? Like it's really hard. They talk about getting back to beginner's mind to go, this is what the new airman feels like here. Drink from Mm -hmm. the fire hose. Oh yeah. Right. Forgot. Yep. How do you process that? How do you want a role model for your team, how they should handle that? And like one of my favorite sessions we ever did for a company called T-Rock, we were in the middle of like the third or fourth round. We're pretty far in the game, pretty advanced because what I love about this is once I get you comfortable Then we're going to spend the next few hours. It's like a half day workshop. I'm just going to get you uncomfortable again. So I'm going to just keep re-exposing you to how small changes in expectations and environment can induce massive stress and then how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So it's not massive. You're like, oh, you get good at, I know how to learn. I know how to deal with this. I know what the process is, is, right? I, I can handle this, right? In the middle of one of the, the really competitive rounds and everybody was cranking, somebody hits the pause button. They're like, wait a minute. We're not communicating. We're not being effective. Hit the brakes. Let's replan. Now, there is nothing in the game preventing you from doing that. And nobody ever asks for that. So to see somebody take that by the horn was like one of the best, like, frontline leadership things I'd ever seen because it was the frontline team was like now they felt safe to raise a hand and go, this is busted. We need to stop before we just keep cranking our way into the ground. And they pulled Mm -hmm. back, replanned, jumped back in, and set like their second highest score, which was like those are the behaviors, right? That's what you want. Mm -hmm. You just don't want mindless Mm -hmm. compliance. Right. Is you want people to say, I understand the objective we're trying to achieve, and we're not achieving it. So we're going to work together to fix it. And I'm going to, anybody can pull the, the, the fire alarm and you got to trust them. That was the whole story of Toyota and their quality improvement is anybody can stop the line to fix quality. So much easier said than done and really hard to train people to do when it's cognitive work An assembly line quality. It's easy to see when something's screwed up when it's cognitive creative work. That's difficult to pull the rip cord and say, Hey, Timeout, right? Where's the timeout button? We need to talk. We're not going in the direction we think we're going. And you know, so as a as a workshop, um, it ends up being very hands-on, it's very experiential. And the goal there is to put people in simulated conditions that start fun and frivolous, and then let the real personality come out. <laughs> and then yeah. hopefully, like you and your son have an adventure together, the really interesting, valuable conversations come out. Mm-hmm.
1: Scott, yeah, there is so much. I mean, we've been talking for about an hour and I, I feel like we could keep talking. So we're oh going <laughs> have to have you come back again because there's just Definitely. so much that, that we can discuss. And it's just such a fascinating, fascinating topic and, and and how this we can integrate this into leadership and helping us connect with each other more. But, you know, we, we usually... Always end our discussions with our guests with what we call the leadership rapid fire, which is a series of questions to help everyone get to know you a little bit better. So are you ready? I am. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. So what is your favorite leadership trait? Oh, man, my favorite
3: leadership trait. I think for me, it's number one. And it's something I have to work on constantly, uh, that I'm always striving to be calm, centered and grounded. I think that that's like the number one thing that, you know, especially in a crisis or uh, even before it's a crisis is like that equanimity, not to say I'm not passionate, I'm not excited about things, but um, I want to make decisions from a friend of mine once said, high emotion equals low intelligence. So step one is to cultivate that sense of, yeah, I'm centered and grounded. Um, Even when I'm having fun, I'm centered and grounded
1: like that. All right. Second question. You mentioned a lot of them today, but what book would you recommend to an aspiring leader?
3: Oh, that's a great, great question. There's so many good ones out there. I'm going to give a weird one. Uh, and it's, it's a bit of an oddball. And I apologize because it is a little sexist in this sense. It's called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover by Robert Moore and what it's about is Carl Jung's four archetypes and it turns out there is a queen warrioress you know whatever there's a female version of it as well but this one he happened to be an expert in male psychology and i was looking for uh guides on mature masculinity because i think it's we have a culture right now that is struggling with healthy male role models for young men Uh, and boys, but it had one of the best definitions uh, for healthy leadership that I've ever seen, regardless of gender. And it outlines the pitfalls, like where you get stuck, like where you might not be as mature as you could be and where you could get sidetracked. And since there's so many other great leadership books out there, this is one that is, could be deeply personal in a way and give you a roadmap to go, oh, I'm here but I really want to be over there. So I'm stuck in the practical joker mode, which is actually the, the gesture is sort of an immature model. And like, when you know where you are, you can figure a strategy and a path to get where you want to be, which is where you, you've integrated the four modes, which is, you know where to go, you know why you're going there. You're doing this for people you care about and you have the discipline to get there. And that's what the four modes represent is, you know, that, sense of direction, knowledge. Are you connected to people and care about them? And do you have the discipline and skill to get there? So that's a book that I highly recommend. Okay. And it's a bit odd. I, I, I got gotcha. you. Not many people have ever heard of it, but I think it's one, like I said, the has one of the best uh, models for mature leadership I've ever seen. All right,
1: You know, and often there's parallels that can be made regardless of gender.
3: Oh, 100%.
1: There's, there's an equivalent behavior. So
3: I, yeah, I know women that are better things than a lot of men that I've met. So yeah, it's really, you don't, I just wanted to be upfront about it and go, this is a book geared at male psychology, but it's not limited to, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm.
1: Third question. What is your favorite
3: quote? Oh boy. I, uh, I have a lot of them. But I rattled one of them off just a minute ago about high emotion is low intelligence. But I think the, I'm, I'm trying to see if I get it right, but it, 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 I can't remember it exactly, but it goes to this, the opposite of chaos um, is cosmos and it's, it's order. And um, when the first time I saw that written down, I was like, what, that's what that is. And it really, um, it tied in with the King Warrior thing because it was like, oh yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. We're here to create the order where the people we care about can flourish. And that's our
0: function, fight
1: the chaos. Jose, I'm gonna let you take the last rapid fire question.
0: Okay. So um, it, you, if you heard in the very beginning, we talked about how we're all about all things life learning and leadership. So mm-hmm. the question is, how do you find your harmony between life, learning, and leadership?
3: Oh, wow. Phenomenal question. Uh, for me, that is a balance of faith. I think faith gets short shift today. Uh, I find, especially when you're raising children, having the ability to believe absent any proof is a staggeringly useful thing to be able to do. When you're staring at a little, you know, whether it's a child or somebody else, and you want to believe in their potential and see it and feel it all the way through you. So faith, uh, I think is an important part connection. The things I do are for the people that are most important to me and closest to me. And, you know, if there was a, a third element of that, it's honoring the, the gifts, uh, that I was given. Um, so I'd say faith connection and honor would be how I try to strike a balance between those things. So like some things I'm really good at, and some things I'm horrible at. I just gotta own that. And uh, when I do, I uh, tend to be in my elite performance zone, and I tend to get things done a lot easier and faster. Uh, and I'm happier. <laughs> and when I fight it, doesn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Mansca, I can't tell you how wonderful it was to have you today. Oh, and- thank you. Thank you. I Scott. feel bad. I feel like
3: I fire hosed you guys with so much information. We covered so many topics and so much ground.
1: But it's all so fascinating. I mean, I was like, I I don't know about you, Jose, but I felt like I was a sponge just soaking it all up.
3: Oh, I'm exactly what I was doing. I'm very blessed. I get to spend a lot of time actually researching and connecting. And this would be a whole other hour conversation. I'll send you a link if you're interested on building a second brain, but it's how to build a knowledge base that extends and expands what you know. So it's useful. So I get to do a lot of this research, but it's all for a point, right? I'm trying to help. You know, like I said, fight isolation. But I want to stay in the positive. Like, how do we create more human connect, more meaningful human connection for people? And I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to talk today. If there's a favor I could ask, if there's any way that like, people are going to ask, like how to get a hold of me or what to do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what I recommend is uh, I've got my personal website scottnovus.com, but I recommend go to bravest.com/slash/play. Mm-hmm. So our B-R- dot com slash p l a y come to one of our fun in ours um we host like bi-weekly like every other week we do a fun in our and you get a chance to meet the staff and experience what we're talking about the culture kitchen's a whole other like email me or contact me about that or just reach out to mark and say i heard about culture kitchen and we'll we'll hook you up because that's a, a thing i do it's a, a workshop i host but yeah, the whole helping people play together and what we do, that's how we pay the bills. So, you know, it'd be great if people who are interested and it resonates with them, uh, were able to get access to more information. And a lot of the resources I talk about uh, will be connected to that page.
1: Great. So we'll make sure when we do the show notes that we list scottnovus.com and bravest.com slash play. Um, is there any other way that guests
3: that, um, sorry, not guests. but Oh, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. People.
1: LinkedIn. Yeah. I'm,
3: I'm most active on LinkedIn and you know, they, if they want to reach out there uh, you know, connect with me. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be willing to put uh, my contact information out there for sure. So hello, it's Scott You can email me and I'm at Scott Novus on virtually everything. So if you did that on Twitter or you did it on Instagram, <laughs> you'd get a hold of me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, it's just, where am I paying attention? And, you know, the thing that I pay attention to usually is LinkedIn, uh, cause that's sort of the professional network. But, uh, yeah, no, I'd love to hear from your audience. Anybody I could help. Uh, I would love to, you know, this is fun stuff and it's fun to talk to people that care about it as well. Cause uh, I think the work you're doing is tremendous. Uh, you know what you're doing, shaping young people, um, defending the country, but also helping people continue to have meaningful, purposeful lives through and past their military service is brilliant. And you know the the, the leadership that you bring is in such short supply. Uh, so God bless you, and thank you for doing what you're doing.
1: And thank you for doing what you're doing, Scott. Um, yes. So I want to close with with a shout out to our sponsor. Blazing Star Barbecue, you can check them out at www.blazingstarbarbecue.com. Blazing Star Barbecue is a veteran-owned and operated uh, operation. Mike Starr served more than 20 years to our nation, and he is devoted to bringing unique flavors from his world travels to your backyard. I know I bought my husband a set of the rubs this week for the holidays, and the Reaper is amazing so you won't be disappointed. And also the Llama Lounge is a proud member of the Lima Charlie Network. You can learn more about the Lima Charlie Network at www.limacharlienetwork.com, where you can get connected to a host of other thought leaders and leadership podcasters in the same vein as the Llama Lounge. So thank you everyone and have a great day.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge Podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.